guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are continuing our study in the general epistles, general letters. Kevin, that means we're in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That means we're not talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, and Ezekiel, and Lamentations. We're talking about everything now that they've been talking about. <laughs> That's kind of the beauty of all of this. All of this that they are talking about as a foreshadow for months that we've been talking about is, is talking about Christ. Everything points to Christ. The, por- the purpose of Revive School is the complete portrait of the Messiah. Where do we see the Messiah in every book of the Bible? 66 books of the Bible. And I got to tell you, you know, here in this unknown author, because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, he or she clearly writes about Jesus being the high priest. Jesus clearly coming in and serving as a role, God taking human flesh. Why? So that we have access to God. And that's what we talked about yesterday in Hebrews 2. It's an incredible picture about how through his flesh, Death no longer has a sting. And yes, uh, Satan, who has the power of death, literally will be crushed and eventually in Romans 20, uh, Revelation 20, thrown into the lake of fire. So because of what Christ did on the cross, and I love Mindy's painting, I love this key. It makes me think of, of the key that I was given actually uh, from Jerusalem. Not like from an official person, but somebody that was in Jerusalem gave me a key that came from Jerusalem. And it was just kind of like, to me, Christ is the key to everything, to the Gentiles, and to the Jews. And that's really what we're talking about here. Christ as the high priest. Now, just so you know, when you're talking to the Jews, Kevin, the language in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2, if you'll go to our comparison chart, Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2 talks about how Jesus is greater than, he's better than the angels. He's greater than the message of angels. So this language of Jesus is better, better than the angels. Now we're going to get into Hebrews 3. Now, this is kind of offensive to some of the Jews. Jesus is going to be greater than Moses. Jesus is greater. He's better than like truly one of the best patriarchs that all of the Jews ever, ever have ever known. And so that's where I want to go to today. Beginning to compare, as crazy as this sounds, the great Moses to Jesus. Some of you are going to think this is just a ridiculous statement. OK, but you have to understand something. Like, uh, you know, I grew up with Michael Jordan, okay? I'm, I'm serious about, don't, don't take this any heretical way, okay? I grew up with Michael Jordan, and then all of a sudden, now here you have the LeBron Jameses coming through. And so that generation's like, well, LeBron is clearly better than Michael, right? But for me to have somebody else say that he's better than Michael, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, that, that's all we've known, but you have to understand something. Moses is talking about Jesus. The prophets are talking about there's going to be somebody greater than me. That's, that's the difference, And so when you get into this comparison and you really begin to see the faithfulness, I love what Tom Constable says. You're going to see in the first six verses, the faithfulness of why Jesus is greater. And exactly here's what he says in verse one. Therefore, holy brothers and companions or or partakers in the ministry, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. Now, here's the only time, and I love this picture, you guys, because when do you ever hear language of Jesus being an apostle? Consider Jesus being the apostle and high priest of our confession. Okay, Kevin, when you think of apostle, you think Paul, probably, you know, or you think of Aaron, you think of the high priest, but Jesus is now, it kind of feels like he's mixing the New Testament and the Old Testament together, right? That's kind of how it feels. When I think of an apostle, I think of a forerunner who's looking to advance the kingdom. When I think of high priests, I think of the individual who is, you know, taking the sacrifices, taking the offerings on behalf of the people. And now he's saying, brothers, I need you to consider Jesus as both. Jesus is the apostle. And we're going to again to unpack all of this. He is the apostle and 
He's the high priest. And then the scripture just says, and it says, and we are a part of this heavenly calling. This this language of of a heavenly calling, I mean, it's really a, a summons. And I like what Nelson's commentary says. It's a summons to salvation in Christ. That's what we're talking about. This heavenly calling happens because of our belief in his death, burial and resurrection. Okay, that's the heavenly calling. We're talking about salvation in Christ and consider Jesus being the apostle and the high priest. And look what it says in verse two. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Okay, so Kevin, who would that be? God the the father appointed the son. Okay, just as Moses was in all God's household. So now all of a sudden, okay, we have a comparison. So the father... Okay, so he appointed, I'm going to keep writing this out stuff. He appointed Jesus, right? Just as the father, he appointed Moses. that a fair statement? He appointed Moses over the household. Okay, so this is the language. Whenever I read stuff like this, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, if you ever wanted to read anything in depth about Christ, just go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 2, and Hebrews 3. Kevin, the description is constantly about about Christ. Well, and it continually builds. I mean, we see in verse one, therefore, it's always looking back to what he's just talked about. And you see that throughout Hebrews, really. It just continually builds. Uh, can you go to Numbers 12, verse seven for me? So obviously they're making a comparison about Jesus and Moses. Okay. In Numbers 12, verse seven, uh, scripture just talks about this. Okay, so not so with my servant Moses. And Moses was described as what? Being faithful in all my household. Uh, okay, Rich, this seems like a very theological appropriate question for you. What would be Moses? What would be God's? What would be God's household? Like Moses is clearly faithful to what? What is that? Um, well, to the tabernacle, and the implications of that, and the implementation of it. So now we're taking a comparison. Totally agree. Okay, totally agree. Moses is in charge of that. He's been in charge of that. And so what does that mean? He means he's putting people in place, right, to take care of that. It doesn't mean he's going into the Holy of Holies, correct? It means Aaron, his brother, might. But he's putting everything in place. And he's been such a good, faithful servant to take care of my my household. And it's a tangible, quote unquote, building, right? Not to diminish the impact that the temple was, not to the, the tabernacle. But clearly that's what he's to take care of. So he's saying now Jesus was faithful as as well. Can you go to Hebrews 2, Kevin, uh, verse 17? We're just going to go back just a little bit here, if you don't mind. Hebrews 2, verse 17 talks about the same thing. Now, look at this. Look at this comparison. Moses is in charge of tabernacle. Jesus says he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So here it is. Jesus is serving in his role as a faithful high priest in service to God. Why? For all of the people. Moses is faithful. Same thing, setting it all up so that the the sins could be taken care of as well through the high priest. So you have this comparison. The writer of Hebrews is talking about this. Moses is even writing about this. Basically, both of them are fulfilling their divine appointments and their divine callings. Kevin, what do you got? It just makes, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a comparison that they're walking out what God's asked them to do. Here's what John MacArthur says. I think it's a really key, important part, okay? He appointed Jesus to be faithful to take care of the people. 
He appointed Moses in this specific in this specific instance to take care of the building. Right? They are both good stewards. First Corinthians four twelve. It says uh, four two for me, Kevin. If you don't mind, try that again. That did you guys like my little dart? I was like, I think that's the one. Uh, in this regard, it is expected of managers that each one of them to be found each one of them to be found faithful. You know, there's a line I have been saying to my wife. Uh, I think in the last three days, I've probably texted just a couple people. How can you be praying? This has been my line. Just I'm praying that I am becoming a faithful manager and steward of what I've been given right now. And like, I don't want to overlook anything. That's why I think yesterday, the day before, I, I talked about like, you know, the grout or the caulk inside my shower. Just that little thing is like, am I being a good steward of this? Because if I'm not, I really believe God doesn't give you more. I'm not talking about tangible blessings. I'm just talking about walking into more of your calling. And it's kind of like in this season that we're in, how are we being faithful? Moses was faithful. Jesus was clearly faithful. And yet here it is. Okay. So I think we've, we've declared like if I was a really lawyer, a good lawyer, which I'm I'm not, (laughs) but if I I would, I would want to make my case that Jesus and Moses clearly have both been faithful. So in no way, shape or form, have I diminished the role of Moses? None, none. But yet the author of uh, of Hebrews, he says in verse three, though, I'm back in Hebrews three, verse three. He says this, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Just as the builder has more honor than the house. Okay, this one's a fun one for me because Kevin, when you see this, clearly we have just said Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than Moses. No questions. We just said that he's worthy of more glory. Okay. But then the comparison is, is just as the builder has more honor than the house. I don't know, Rich, you have any insight on that? Uh, I just think that if you look at when you go back to your Moses comparison to your to your board, that God's Holy Spirit dwelt in a building and Moses was the steward of that and implementing that. And now you have Christ come on the scene, who's the Holy Spirit, and he's in charge of the people because his Holy Spirit is now indwelling in people. And therefore, he is higher because he's his Holy Spirit is living and dwelling, not just in one location, but in and amongst the people that call him Lord. That's good. I, and, and it just ties into Hebrews 3, verse 4, with what you're saying. I, that's awesome. Now, every house is built by someone. I don't know who built my house. you know who built your house, Kevin? I do not. Rich? Nope. But you would have earlier, Rich, you would have said, well, you built it. <laughs> but listen to this. Now, every time you know who built your house. No. Okay. Now, everyone who has built house is built by someone. But the one who built everything is God. So, Kevin, now we just tied in three to four. Verse three is now tied into verse four. So now when we're saying, what does it say in verse three? The builder has more honor. And oh, by the way, the one who built everything is God. We're now saying Jesus is God. He is the builder. So now we've gone from a creator to now he's a builder. I love the, and the, the, the pictures of the, of the book of Hebrews. It's literally like if you were to have a cell phone with all your emojis, you'd have the most pictures probably of Christ in the book of Hebrews outside of maybe of the gospel of John. I love the imagery that you see here of, of Christ. Christ is not only greater than Moses, uh, but his ministry, Christ's ministry is, is better as well. It's kind of an interesting way to think of this stuff, but that's exactly what he just says. He's greater than Moses and he's greater, by the way, than what he does. And in verse five, and here's how you know, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said 
in the future. <laughs> you kind of have to wonder, so wait, was everything that Moses did right here because of, whoa, it's going to be a testimony to what was going to be said, how it's going to all tie in? Oh, by the way, everything that Moses did, Jesus, so we can say is now better than that. <laughs> it's a pretty cool picture. And oh, by the way, uh, Moses took care of the household, but Jesus built it. So, all right, so this is your comparison. Again, over and over. But you have to understand, you guys, uh, you have these three audiences. Some are believers. Some are unbelievers who have intellectually connected. Some are unbelievers who have never made the jump. And so the audience is saying, hey, guys, very clearly, I want to make sure you understand. Like, don't put your stock in the law. Don't put your stock. And Kevin, if 70 AD, if you can go to our timeline, remember in 586 BC, you have the Babylonian temple. Babylonians come in and destroy the temple, right? Gone. But it's rebuilt. If it has not been destroyed, this rubble temple, what does that imply? It's still going. So you have these sacrifices. That it's still taking place. Even though the veil was torn. Even though the veil is torn, it's still going on. Is that a fair statement? And so I think this is the argument here. Say, hey, guys, by the way, um, everything that you're saying, Moses was a good guy. But things have shifted. Jesus is now better. Kevin, to your point, and I love Mindy's painting, and the veil is torn. No longer does that hold stock. The veil literally has revealed the new key. And that's what he's articulating. He's like, hey, I want you to understand something. Times have shifted. But man, if you, if you are like this denominational guru in America, okay, or overseas, and like, let's just say your denomination is Christian Church the Third, whatever. Okay. And you always have loved the guy that founded the Christian Church of the Third. And what do you do? You have your pictures up of him. You talk about his history. Like he's the guy. And that's all you've ever known. But, but now somebody comes in and says, hey, everything that he's been talking about, this guy's greater. That's exactly what they're doing. They're completely messing with everything that they've ever just seen. And so here you have, it continues on to be a transition. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's household, but look what it says in verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And oh, by the way, we are that household. Christ says, uh, the scripture says, Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and you and I are that household. The body of Christ is the household. Here it is. If we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Hold on to the courage. Hold on to the courage and the confidence of hope. What, what are we holding on to? Practically speaking, what are we holding on to? Well, I think it's fair to say we, we're holding on to the fact that death is no longer has a sting. I think we're holding on to the fact that we have eternal salvation. I think we're holding on to the fact that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we can have confidence, we can have courage, and we can believe that because of what Christ has done, you hold on to this because he's ultimately all we have. In fact, it goes, Kevin, if you want to go to Hebrews 6, verse 19, it's like this same mentality, this holding on to courage, holding on to the confidence of our hope alludes to Hebrews 6, 19, which we have this hope. Why do we hold on to it? Because it's an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It's a pretty cool picture. This hope and this anchor for our lives, safe and secure. Kevin, what does it do? It allows us to enter the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, which goes to everything which we've just been talking about. Guys, if you don't hold on to this, you can't get in. And that's what he's alluding to. He says, you have to hold on to this. You know, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, just for a little bit here. It, John MacArthur talks about, uh, you know, what Christ's cross, okay, provides for us. 
I mean, Kevin, clearly in Hebrews 6.19, it says it allows us to enter into an inner sanctuary, right? This provides us th- this hope. And Hebrews 7.19 talks about this. Through the cross, okay, we are offered a better hope. And Hebrews 7.19 says, but a better hope is introduced. The law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So why do we hold on to this hope? So we can draw near to the Lord. Why do we hold on to this confidence? So we can draw near to his, his presence. If you want to go to Hebrews 7, verse 22, it's cool. Why do we hold on to this? Because it's a better, because of what the cross has done. Hebrews 7, 22 says Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. So not only is Jesus serving, if you can go to the other uh, chart for me, not only does he serve as a better hope <laughs> through the cross, but he serves as a better covenant. Kevin, that's a big word. What was the old covenant? The law. And you and I know how many laws are there, Kevin? 613. 613. We can't keep all of that. And Christ says, you put your stock in me, I'll take care of it for you. I am the better covenant. In Hebrews 8, verse 6, not only is he the better hope, he's the better covenant. He has better, and I love this one, (laughs) he has better promises. But Jesus now has obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he's the mediator. There's that language of a high priest. He's the mediator of a better covenant, which we just alluded to, which has been legally enacted on better promises. I love this image. Jesus provides better promises than the old. Because of what Christ did on the cross, if you go to Hebrews 9, verse 23, kind of the straightforward, obvious one, and what we see on Mindy's painting is that Jesus provides a better sacrifice. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be purified with these uh, sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. And so I would just even say, I mean, this is the language that he provides, better sacrifices. Jesus provides all. He takes care of this, Kevin. You want to keep going in Hebrews 10, verse 34. I think you're getting the point. But why do we hold on to this hope? Because he provides everything so much better. Hebrews 10, verse 34, this is kind of a fun one. He says, For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. (laughs) The temporary is temporary. But Jesus provides something that will never go away. All because the veil was torn and all because Jesus died on the cross. You and I, because I have, we have a high priest who has sympathized with everything we've gone through. He says, I'm going to give you something that will never go away. You don't have to worry about bringing your temporary possessions to your funeral. I promise you, I got something better. He continues to provide this and John MacArthur spells this out very clean in Hebrews 11 verse 16. It's a little bit interesting. Hebrews 11 verse 16 says this. For they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I don't care what you call it, a place, a city, a country, land. God provides a better place that we don't have right now, a heavenly one. All of this comes through the cross, which none of us had to do anything to earn it. (laughs) That's kind of the beauty of it all. He says, look, guys, you can, if you go back to my chart here for a second, or the, the timeline, look, you guys, you're still trying to do all this stuff. You're trying to do all the sacrifices and the offering. I'm just here to tell you, none of those things will sustain you. And then finally, just two more things. Hebrews 11, verse 35, Kevin. 
What does the cross provide? It provides uh, a better resurrection. Hebrews 11.35 says, Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release. So why? So that they might gain a better resurrection. (laughs) I got something better than what you can see right now. Some men were tortured. They didn't want to give in. Why? Because they knew they were going to gain something better on the other side. And then finally, Hebrews 11.40. Hope you can understand. Through the cross... God provides better hope, covenant, promises, sacrifices, possession, place, resurrection. In Hebrews 30, uh, 11, 40 says, Since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. And the language here, if you want to read between the lines, is that there's better provision. God has provided something better for us. And only, you guys, and only any of this can come through the cross. So then he says in verse 7, I'm, I'm back, Kevin, if you don't mind, in Hebrews 3. Do you remember how we had talked about a couple days ago, how about the warnings? How we thought that there were five warnings in Scripture. Some would say maybe six in the book of Hebrews. And the first warning was, is, hey, by the way, heed the word and don't drift away. The second warning is, and this really comes from uh, Tom Constable as well, like the danger, the second warning is the danger of disbelief. Okay, in 7 through 19, or you could say doubt, the danger of doubt. Now watch this in, in verse seven. We, we had just talked about like some of the things that are better. And he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, I love this, by the way, today, if you hear him talk to you as the Holy Spirit speaks, verse eight, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion or in the day of testing in the desert. He says in verse nine, where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. You know, that language of going astray in their hearts, you know what that is? It's because they're not listening to his voice. They decide to go their own path. I know some of you at Revive School, maybe you get a little weary of this phrase that I have, but I think it's so helpful. Look, when you trust in what he's done for us on the cross and you believe that he's come back to life, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, okay? Right away, you have the Holy Spirit. There's not a question of baptism. There's an instant indwelling, okay? We're not even going to get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit stuff. I'm just talking about when you trust in Christ, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. One of the roles, okay? Scripture even just says in Romans 8, 14, if you are led by my Spirit, you are sons of God. Okay, so if you're led by the Spirit, Kevin, that only can mean you either hear His voice, you sense His voice, or He's directing you in that direction, right? He's leading you, He's guiding you. He wants to speak to us. Language in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. And so when you see this of if you hear his voice, don't 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 tune him out. Don't quench the Holy Spirit in this process. If you do, I believe what happens. And here's the warning. You go astray in your hearts. So the warning is, is guys, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And I would just say that's probably one of the number one issues that we see in the church today. We want to do it in our own way. We want to do it in our specific way. And Kevin, that was the danger, fair enough, of the Israelites. So what happened, Kevin? Because of their rebellion, what happened? They got to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and not go into the promised land. Yeah. And so what does he say? In verse 11, because they chose to ignore my ways, he says, I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Because they hardened their hearts. Which means they didn't hear his voice. 
I would just be really careful about saying the Holy Spirit no longer speaks today. I think you walk dangerous grounds in congregations and churches saying the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us today. Why else would Jesus say, I need to send the Holy Spirit when I leave? So the Holy Spirit can just sit inside of us? Just billowing fire inside of us? <laughs> There's so many roles of the Holy Spirit. He wants to bless us with, with gifts, like spiritual gifts so that we can walk out the fullness. Why? So that we could actually edify the body, that we can point people to the head of Christ. Like, this is the reality, you guys. And if we're not careful and we keep saying there's, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us like that. You guys, you're almost walking into this danger of doing exactly what the Hebrews writer says. You're walking into rebellion. Therefore, you won't enter my rest. So here's what he, he says in verse 12. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Clearly, clearly, you guys, he's giving a warning. Man, you better watch out, guys, so that there's nobody in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And then he continues on. And so he just says in verse 13, but encourage each other daily. Man, daily. I don't do that. I'd love to tell you I encourage every day, everybody every day. My wife had a challenge last week. I thought it was so cool. I was out of town for a week. She said, every day I'm going to bless somebody, somebody random in a, in, a, in a unique way that encourages them. So I just look forward to hearing, hey, how did you do it today? Did it cost money? You know, right? I mean, right. But you can encourage people through free, right? But the point is, is like, are you being intentional while it's still today to encourage and bless somebody? Can I say, can I tell you why? Why do you encourage somebody? Why do you want to encourage them so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception? You guys, it goes both ways. The encouragement that you would pour into me, Kevin, would bless me so that I don't fall into sin. And then you do it so that you don't fall into sin. Well, how do I encourage? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him speak to you. You know, that language, that wording that I typically say is, is that first voice that you hear, if you're a believer in Christ, is, is actually the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The second voice that you hear is you trying to figure out, <laughs> was that the Holy Spirit? I don't know if I heard. And then the third voice is usually the enemy, Satan, saying, nah, you never heard from him. And then when you give in to that, guess what happens? You're hardened and you begin to give in to this quenching of the Holy Spirit, not listening to the Lord. I love that Laura looks to encourage people on a daily basis. And you know how hard that is sometimes when you try to pour into your kids and they don't want to receive it? I'm just being honest. But man, when they receive it, it's so fun. And when they pour into you, it's so fun. Like it's a process. This is a great way you guys to point people to Christ. Encourage each other daily. Now watch this. It says in verse 14, for we have become companions of the Messiah. In other words, we're partakers. We're walking with him if we hold firmly until the end of the end, the reality that we had at the start. <laughs> uh, by the way, you will, as partakers, you will partake in the future kingdom with him. In verse 15, and really in closing through 19, I want to read through this. It says, as it is said, and here's a repeat. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Guys, I need you to hear this. <laughs> For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? And who was he provo provoked with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And who did he swear to that he would, ne that would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see... They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Why do we make this, why do we make this story prominent in Hebrews 3? Because, by the way, Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses might have been a great steward, but guess what? His household that he served was still a mess. Moses wasn't the answer. 
Jesus is. And that's really what you begin to see in Hebrews 3. I love the writer of Hebrews because what is he constantly saying in all of the book? Jesus is better than anything I'm going to talk about. The angels, the message of angels, or even the great patriarch Moses. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll continue the study of Hebrews 4 tomorrow. Thanks.